Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Buka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside we take a story from folklore or mythology, retell it and have a chat about the tale itself and the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan and I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 62 of Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. We're coming to you, as always, from the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network studio right here in Dublin. You're all very welcome along to another episode of Fireside. If it's your very first time listening, you are very welcome indeed. How about listen to this and then go back to the beginning and see what we've been building up to over the last year and a bit. And if you're a returning listener, thank you so much for your continued support. Uh, please do continue to subscribe and leave ratings and reviews on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. They really do help. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard, all one word for... All the updates on the podcast, our live shows, and about what I'm getting up to myself. If you really, really like the podcast, you can support the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast. That is totally up to yourself. It's totally an egalitarian model. Um, it's not going to affect my output, but I do really, really appreciate uh, the support on it. Thank you very much to our brand new patron this week, Carl Dry. Uh, thank you so much for your kind, kind no da- donation um, and for your lovely message. It, uh, it uh, really, it's lovely just to hear that bit of feedback and to have that kind of support. Carl Dry now joins Connor Phelan, um, Ollie Gray, um, Cullen Vance and Kit Mallow as our current patri- patrons. And it's incredible to see even... In such a competitive game as podcasting and Patreon is, it's lovely to have uh, patrons plural in uh, uh, on Patreon.com, and that's very much appreciated. So thank you very much, dear friends. Um, what have I been up to um, before we get cracking into this week's episode? This week uh, is the first week in a long time that I felt I've had a bit of time to myself, which is really nice. Um, as those that regularly listen to the podcast will know, I was involved in a production of A Christmas Carol um, in the Gate Theatre all over Christmas, which took us well into about halfway through January. And kind of since finishing that, I've been working on a few little things. I was away in Norway for a week uh, with Celtic Nights, the Irish music show I tour with, which was incredible and incredibly beautiful and so good to be doing that show again. Um, and then I was doing I was doing another show in the Mill Theatre in Dundrum the week after that. But last week I was doing something very, very different and really incredible and very gratifying. I got to work in the Abbey Theatre um, 
which is our national theatre here in Ireland, uh, in the Peacock stage, which is its uh, underground, its underground kind of smaller independent theatre, um, which houses a lot of, of new writing and new work. And there is an initiative that the Abbey does every year called Five by Five, where they, you can apply to it where it's a five usually outreach programs and the Abbey gives each of them five days to workshop a show uh, on the Peacock stage and to do a presentation on the fifth day. And I was born and raised in Wicklow Town, which I do talk about a bit on this podcast. And uh, there is uh, a hotel in Wicklow, it's like the one hotel in the town, it's called the Grand Hotel. And it uh, it is it was a grand hotel. That was just about the only way you could describe it. But last year, the ground was actually converted into a direct provision centre. And I don't know if a huge amount of people listening to this podcast will know a huge amount about direct provision. I certainly didn't before working on this piece. But it's basically for people uh, coming into the country um, awaiting residency and citizenship where they go into this system where they live in a specific place and they get their meals at a certain time. They get a very, very small uh, monetary stipend because, of course, because they don't have residency or citizenship, a lot of them can't work until they get work permits. And it's not a perfect system by any means. It's a very, very difficult situation for a lot of them, but a lot of the cases it's better than what they've come from. And so currently there are 99 residents living in the Grand Hotel uh, from 48 different countries. And Tina Noonan, this playwright, uh, approached me saying that she had applied and been accepted for 5 by 5 and that she wanted to workshop a play with the res- some of the residents of this direct provision centre in Wicklow Town. And it was incredible for several reasons. First and foremost, it was great, obviously, to work in our national theatre here, but it was also incredible to uh, be telling a story from my hometown. Uh, I'd never seen anything done. I'd never seen Wicklow Town be talked about on stage before, except in things that I'd written myself. And then to be sharing in the stories from these people from these dramatically different cultures uh, was one of the coolest things ever. And and there were so many different languages spoken throughout the piece. And it just constantly had me thinking about the podcast. I know it might seem like I'm going on a very different kind of tangent, but it really it really did because this podcast is obviously so much about digging and digging deeper into Irish culture and folklore, but I'm constantly aware of the idea of the monomyth, especially when I read other cultures, folklores and mythologies. I've seen the through lines um, and the similar stories that are present in all different cultures and countries and there was a good bit of music in this piece that we performed and some a lot of these traditional um some traditional like african songs and there was something about them that just seemed so like a lot of traditional irish music and some shanno singing and it was a really really gratifying very rewarding experience very um, it was a tough. It was a tough week. We we worked very hard uh, throughout the five days, but uh, it was one of the more rewarding things now I've done. And it's great because I don't live in Wicklow anymore, but it's incredible now that I'll be able to go back and that I can see a lot of these residents that I've met. 
and you know check in with them and see how their journey and process is going into their uh, integration into Wicklow Town and into Ireland and you know, wish them all very very well uh, so that was a total side thing but that was just what I was doing last week and it was uh, an incredible an incredible experience um but this week I finally have more time to myself and not a, a permanent thing to work on uh, for a couple of weeks I think I think I have a bit more time to myself now bar just uh, various different gigs and stuff but I can kind of devote the next couple of weeks specifically to the podcast and in I'm kind of in the middle of applications and stuff for various festivals and I want to start uh, organizing another live show uh, because I'm going away to Australia and New Zealand uh, start rehearsals for that at the start uh, about halfway through April and so I'll be traveling around there for a couple of months, which of course means I'll be taking the podcast on the road again, which I'm very excited to do. But the next couple of weeks, I want to have big plans for the podcast for 2020 and to get a lot of balls rolling right there. It will be my main priority now for the next couple of weeks. But all that aside, let's get down to the story for this week. This was a really fun story that I found in this new book that I got from my brother for my birthday this year, uh, which was Meeting the Other Crowd, The Fairy Stories of Hidden Ireland by Eddie Linehan with Carol, Carolyn Eve Green. Um, not too, a fairly recent book, very different in style to a lot of the folklore fairy books I'd read, and that is written quite colloquially, which I'm not a huge fan of, but the stories themselves have been very different and and brilliant so far and I'm really really enjoying getting through it and this was one I couldn't resist for quite personal reasons um it's called uh, well it, in the book it's called refereeing refereeing a fairy hurling match but I just called it the fairy hurling match uh, for cleanliness and I'll talk a bit more about the story and about my personal connection to it but it's great fun and I hope you enjoy it. And this is the Fairy Hurling Match on Fireside. The Fairy Hurling Match Fairies have a great many pleasures in life. Much like ourselves, but possibly due to their incredibly long lives, fairies live their pleasures to extremes. Pleasures such as drinking, music tormenting humans or playing games. Sometimes they would attempt all at the same time. But this is a story about fairy sport. Naturally enough, the fairy games were the old Irish sports. Those with a logical brain enjoyed playing Fikel, the old Irish game of chess. Others would enjoy horse racing as both a spectator and a participating sport. Never would you see a fairy playing soccer. To see a fairy playing football would be the equivalent of seeing a fairy drive a car. But all fairies enjoyed a game of hurling. The fastest field sport in the world and one of the oldest of all sports, hurling has been played in Ireland for over 4,000 years. It was how Cullen trained before going into battle. It was intrinsically linked with the struggle for Irish identity and independence. In short, apart from the Irish language itself or playing the harp, hurling is the most Irish thing one can do. And yes, 
I do include the drinking of Guinness with that. So naturally, the other folk would hop all over this ancient national sport. The fairies would love grabbing their sticks of ash and belting a slither from one end of the field to the other and back again, usually belting each other in the process, whether intentionally or not. The only issue ever was that the she were notoriously dirty players, always trying to cheat to win the game. So the job of the referee was particularly important and necessary, not to mention dangerous. And just outside the village of Ballinspittle in County Cork, there was a young man named Liam Ogue. Liam Ogue had hurling in his veins. And one night he was walking home to the family farm after a training session. Just as it was getting dark, Liam spotted two figures approaching from the opposite direction. He didn't think anything of it at first, until the two men got closer and closer, but didn't get any larger the closer they got. Liam Oak's heart rate began to increase as he realised these two had to be fairies. He had never encountered the other folk before, but was sure what he was seeing was them. The only thing that was surprising about them besides seeing them at all, was their dress. Each wore what looked like a jersey and shorts. They appeared to be in training gear. Aliyah Makara, said one of the fairies. How do you know my name? asked Liam Oak. Ah, Bukal, said the other. I can tell by the look on your face that you know exactly what we are, and you're questioning how we know your name. Liam Oak thought before he spoke again. Okay, so, what do you want with me? There's no need to get tense, said the first fairy. I know encounters on country roads with us don't often end up going the best for your lot. But today, Akara, you have nothing to worry about. We need a favour. What could you possibly want with me? Fairy number two grinned. We need a referee. Liam Oak stared blankly. The other fairy went on. We're playing a good old game of Imaniacht. Harling, but none of our teams trust the other not to cheat, nor do we trust any she to referee, in case he favour the other team. We need a mortal. But why me? You're of good hurling stock. We've watched you train. You're the best balance Spittle has to offer. Now come, our players are waiting. And so, not really feeling like he had much choice, Liam Oak followed the two fairies down the road. This was a road he had walked a thousand times before. He knew these roads, but following the other folk, he didn't anymore. The road began to twist and turn, and by the time they reached a hurling pitch, it didn't feel like Liam Oak was in Kansas, I mean Balance Spittle, anymore. There were two full teams assembled, fifteen aside. All the players were of a similar build, burly and beardy, but not one even reached past Liam Oak's belly button. Not only were both teams ready to go, but there was a large crowd assembled to watch, and there seemed to be a whole manner of creatures there, all kinds of fairies and goblins of all shapes and sizes, long, slender men to short fat women to bony, brittle, ancient in-betweens. 
Liam Ogue was overwhelmed the more he looked around, so he tried to focus on the game. He was a player first and foremost, but he felt confident he could referee. And he would have to, because the gods only knew what the others would do to him if he didn't do a good job. Liam Ogue blew the whistle, and the game began. As I've said, hurling is the fastest field sport played on grass. And that's even when there's beer-bellied mortals playing it. With short, supernatural she, it was almost impossible to even see the players, never mind the schlitter. All Liam Ogue could do was listen to the sound of ashen hurley against leather ball. He'd hear and look and try and catch a glimpse of the white ball amidst the wooden sticks and bearded faces. The chaos only increased due to the roars from the crowd. Two hands on the hurl! Ground hurling! Two hands! And to say the two teams were well matched was an understatement. Liam Ogue may not have been able to keep track of all the play, but he didn't miss a single goal or point, and in his head kept a diligent record of the score. And the fairies weren't exaggerating about being dirty cheats. There were more fouls than Liam Ogue knew what to do with, players picking up the schlitter with their hand instead of the hurl, throwing the ball instead of hand-passing it, and plenty of chopping of the other players' sticks. Initially, Liam was too afraid to call foul on any of them, but as he settled into the game, his confidence grew, and by the end of the first half, he was threatening to send players off front, back and centre. After half an hour, Liam Oag blew his whistle to end the first half. The teams went off their respective sides and the mortal referee went to get a glass of water. No one approached or spoke to him during the half-time, and so his anxiety began to grow again. What'll they do to me when all this is over? He thought to himself. He considered running away while he could, but he thought the better of it, and decided that fair was fair, he would finish the game. He went back on the pitch, blew his whistle, and the second half began. One hands for stopping the bus! Two hands! Came the cries of the crowd once more. It was point for point. These were the two best matched teams Liam Oak had ever seen. It was as if they knew each other's every move. It was as it was approaching the end of the second half that a thought occurred in Liam Oak's mind. Take that in. And it was as it was approaching the end of the second half that a thought occurred in Liam Oak's mind. If the game is a draw, then surely neither side can unleash their wrath upon me. Unfortunately, one team was a goal ahead. Three points. And there were five minutes to go. Liam watched the short, burly, swift players pelt the leather end to end, hoping against hope the other team would equalise. A point over the crossbar wouldn't cut it. They'd have to get that schlitter in the back of the net. The more time spent in the right end of the pitch, the more Liam began to sweat. He kept glancing at his watch, watching the seconds sweep by. And then, a chance. Was it? Yes, it was. The centre forward of the losing team took the crowd's advice and with two hands on the hurl, pelted the slither into the goal. And the crowd erupted. Ground hurling! Liam Ogg looked at his watch again. There was still technically two minutes left of play and he hadn't given any extra time, all what would be at the discretion of the referee. 
but he didn't want to risk either team getting any further ahead. There might not be any time to equalise again. So he took the chance, blew the whistle and ended the game. What would happen now? How would the fairies react? What would they do to this young man from Ballinspittle? Well, Liam Og need not have worried, because both teams ran over to him and lifted him high into the air. Now, it wasn't very high that they could lift him, but the effect was the same. That was the best game of hurling that's ever been played on this pitch, said the captain of one team. And you are a harsh but fair ref. We'd be dirty players, but you were well able, said the captain of the other. You must come back and ref another game for us. Oh, absolutely, said Liam Oak, and his job done, he was allowed to return home to the family farm outside Ballinspittle. And Liam Oak became a better hurler than he thought possible after his encounter with the other folk. He had a greater and deeper understanding of the game, and he was unstoppable on the pitch after that. But Liam Ogue never did referee another fairy hurling match because he never walked that way home from training ever again. The end. And that was the story of the fairy hurling match on Fireside. Lovely little story. I hope you'll all agree. Yes, I found this one. This was another one of the early stories in in the Meeting of the Other Crowd book. One of the ones, again, a lot of the time when I'm sifting through sometimes hundreds of folk tales, naturally enough, a thing that's going to really grab you is always going to be a good title. And so I particularly look for titles that either interest me, I'm always interested in, in folk tales to do with music, uh, folk tales to do with animals, and then folk tales to do with things that we haven't really explored. And hurling is actually something we haven't done a huge amount about. Um, of course, it's a huge element in the early life of Cucullin and him joining the boys' troop and everything. That's going to the first major time hurling's made an appearance. But this was a lovely chance to kind of revolve a story entirely around hurling. Um, and hurling is not something that I've played since I was about nine or ten. It was always it's quite a quite a hard going, it's quite a rough sport. Um, because I wasn't a particularly sporty child in general, I was I was uh, it was all water sports for me. I I loved I loved swimming and I loved uh, surf life saving and things like that. But in more recent times, I suppose since since becoming more obsessed with folklore and mythology, um, my fascination with the folklore and mythology of the game of hurling has only greatly intensified. And while researching this story and my adaptation of it, I was watching a good few videos just about hurlers talking about hurling and just incredible stuff. The romance of hurling is actually incredible. And that was, um, there's that YouTube channel, I think it's called Great Big Story. Um, and it was it was the captain of the Donegal hurling team talking about his history of playing hurling and just the history of hurling in general and kind of explaining the rules and things. And it was from him that I got that great line, um, which was what he said his grandfather used to say that apart from speaking the language, that hurling was the most Irish thing you could do. Now, I have included playing the harp in that because I do think that is 
as much a criteria as well. It's a long time the harp was actually the only respected instrument in Ireland. That was the only thing that uh, you had any esteem as a musician if you played, was you had to play the harp. And of course it is the symbol of Ireland. The Brian Baru harp particularly is the symbol of Ireland. It is on the Irish passport. It is on the Guinness glass. <laughs> um, so the harp is very much involved in that as well. But yes, um, so the romance and the love and the passion of hurling in that uh, I wanted to try and come across a little bit with this and yeah one of the one of the more interesting things about the GAA could be called one of the bad things about it but I suppose it shows the extent of the the diehard passion for it is that uh, even at a professional level GAA is unpaid it is inherently amateur and so you could be playing in Croke Park to literally over 80,000 people and the players wouldn't be getting paid for it. So they all have normal jobs as well or they obviously get different sponsorship deals and uh, things like that, like any like any sports players. But yeah, it isn't it isn't professionally played, either Gaelic football or hurling, um, which is always a great shame, but I suppose the other side of that is it means that it is entirely then because it is in the blood and it's a lifelong obsession, uh, which always did escape me. But I love I love the idea of it and uh, I've come to it much later in life. And who knows, maybe my hurling career could all still be ahead of me. Uh, but from a personal point of view, what I've probably changed the most about this is when I was on tour in Norway... There was an accordion player uh, who was playing with us, who was from Ballinspittle in County Cork. And we were talking about hurling phrases and just like hurling like crowd calls and things like that. Because there's a fellow from Wicklow Town, he used to have a, a, a saying where he'd say, put that man under a highball. Um implying put him under a schlitter on a hurling field. But Liam Liam O'Keefe, this 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 box player, he then just said, uh, oh ours used to just be two hands on the hurling, ground hurling and just gave us these incredible uh sayings of uh spectators at a hurling game. And needless to say we became absolutely obsessed with these sayings and were very unprofessionally roaring them as we performed in the show on stage and roaring them in the pub on the nights out, on the planes, on the way home and kind of all the time since. So when I discovered this story about the fairy, a fairy hurling match that was refereed by a mortal, I said, well, I'm going to dedicate this story then to Liam O'Quiv. I'm going to make him the central character set it in balance spittle because even that is genuinely where Liam is from but if that isn't the uh, the best name for for an Irish village you've heard I don't know what would be uh, it sounds like something out of Roald Dahl or something uh, but it is very much a real Irish village yeah balance spittle and yeah, I just had a great amount of love and joy writing this story because I got to put two hands on the hurl into it. 
and I'm quite congested. Me, sick for the change? Never. Um, I quite just run down uh, just from the last couple of weeks. So I hope that didn't come across too much in the episode. I hope it didn't sound too congested or too hoarse in my voice because uh, I wanted to give a good bit of energy and life to that one. So I'm going to wrap it up there because I'm just about out of time. But I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. It's another very fun one. Um, next week, we're coming to the very end of the Ulster cycle now, which is very exciting, and it'll be very interesting to see where we go from here. I won't give away too much before I make a definite decision on which way we're going to go. Um, it'll probably be, but it'll probably be another myth next week. Um, to be honest, there's a possibility I might do another folktale next week. Um, from a pure OCD point of view. Because how how the podcast always went was it was always odd numbers were folk tales and even numbers were myths. Because that's just how we started. Number one, episode number one was a folk tale. Episode number two was a myth. Episode three was a folk tale. Episode four was a myth. That was the rhythm we got into. But then when I started doing the tawn and I focused just more on the myths for a couple of weeks, um, we were obviously just doing myth every week. Now that we've gone back, we've ended up getting back into the routine, but the opposite way. And I kind of don't like that clearly from a point of view of people who, obviously I hope everyone is listening to all of the episodes, but if anyone just like listen to the folktales or just likes listening to the myths, that they should be able to kind of follow the similar kind of rhythm. So we might put another folktale in next week, just from a pure OCD point of view, and to reset the odds, evens, rhythm. But we'll see if I have a good one for next week. So thank you so much to all of you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much to our patrons. Um, please do continue to leave ratings, subscriptions, subscribe, all that on wherever you get your podcasts. Follow me on Instagram at Farside Bard. Um, thanks so much to Jamie, my producer, to Alan Paddy here at Headstuff. And once again, all of you for continuing to listen to this podcast that makes me so happy to put out and I hope you continue to enjoy it. So I'll see you all, and you'll hear me next time around the fireside. Thank you, and goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.